0: If you would take out your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're just going to look at one verse today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one of proved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. Lord God, your word is truth. Sanctify us by your truth this morning and make us holy and ready to walk according to your truth. In Jesus' name. amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the Protestant Reformation. It was sparked by a man named Martin Luther back in October 31st, 1517, and he nailed 95 theses or statements to the door of the Church of Wittenberg. And Germany would then go through a reformation that would emphasize what is known as the five solas, the five onlys, the five alones. Scripture alone teaches that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But over 500 years later, research has shown that we all see around us the majority of young people who go off to college are not only leaving home, but they're leaving the church. And those who attend church are bringing in secular philosophies that they learn from college and from the mainstream media. Many in the church do not not know what it means to be born again and believe that being good will get them to heaven. And more and more are openly supporting same-sex marriage and supporting the LGBTQ plus revolution. And the LGBTQ actually stands for let God be totally quiet, plus those who belong to him. Secular thinking has permeated the church and the culture in such a way that the Christian worldview is treated as toxic resulting in the removal of Christian symbols and prayer and the Bible, not only from the culture, but from the church. So the question is, what will it take to bring a biblical reformation to our churches and our community and our country today? What will it take to get through to those in the church who have become complacent and indifferent to the work In worship of the church, what will it take to open their eyes, the eyes of sinners, and to turn them to Jesus? Well, our text this morning presents the answer to that question. To a young pastor of a church that is struggling with members who desire to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. It is a church that is confronted from within and without by disobedient sinners who are unholy, profane, who strike their fathers and mothers, are murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. This is the description we read about at the church of which Timothy is a pastor. What will it take to bring Reformation. Well, the first word in our text is an imperative. This imperative is in the second person singular. It is specifically for a particular individual. And from the context, we see that the letter is written by the Apostle Paul to Pastor Timothy, a young pastor of the church in Ephesus. Therefore, this imperative comes with apostolic authority. To the teaching elder of that church, now the ESV translation of that word, "do your best," does not capture the imperatival force of the actual word, and is better translated, "be diligent with persistent zeal." Do not be half-hearted, Timothy, but be fully engaged. What is Timothy commanded to be diligent to do? To present yourself to approach, to stand before. Again, it's in the second person singular. So this letter is written to one individual, yet the impact of his obedience to this imperative will bring a great reformation to the church and to the city of Ephesus. To whom is he presenting himself and standing before? Not the church, not his friends, not his family, Not the citizens of Ephesus or the leaders, but God. Timothy is commanded to present himself to God for divine approval. So the first aspect that needs to be for a reformation to take place, the first ingredient of that reformation is divine approval. This word has the sense of being examined or tested. Timothy's approval is not before men but before God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 18, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So Timothy is to present himself eagerly and zealously before the Lord, to be tested and examined, to meet his approval. Every teaching elder is to be diligent with persistent zeal, to present himself approved before God. If Reformation is to come to the church in Ephesus or to the church at Faith in Myrtle Beach or any church, it must have this this divine approval. If Reformation is to come to the church in King Street or Florence or Sumter, Myrtle Beach, anywhere in our presbytery, it must have divine approval. Reformation without divine approval will change the outward appearance of the flock but not the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when the Lord looks at Timothy, he's looking at the heart. Divine approval is not satisfied with outward appearances, but uses the means of grace to bring about eternal reformation of the heart and the will. The second ingredient is reformation requires divine effort. Timothy is to be a worker or a laborer. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy five seventeen, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor, who work, who toil, struggle, who become weary in preaching and teaching. The work and labor of the preacher involves sweating over and wrestling over the meaning of Scripture through his study of God's Word and of books and resources that will assist him in understanding the text leaving no stone or pebble or grain of scripture unturned in his search for truth. The preacher is to be a man of the book. He must study it, treasure it, wrestle with it, with what the text means and what it does not mean, and proclaim it. Paul tells Timothy at the end of this letter, in 2 Timothy 4.13, when you come, cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments, which perhaps were the Old Testament scriptures. In his biography on George Whitfield, Stephen Lawson writes that in preparation for his sermons, Whitfield would have his English Bible, his Greek New Testament, and his Matthew Henry commentaries. This work is essential in the pastor's study, and preparation to deliver God's word faithfully to the flock in a way that meets God's approval. Secondly, Timothy is to be unashamed in this work. Well, why would Timothy be ashamed? Perhaps because of his youth and feeling inadequate and being thought of as inadequate by those who look down on him because he's so young and inexperienced. Perhaps the shame comes from being told that a pastor only works one day a week. I remember serving as an assistant pastor many years ago, and that pastor, who was in his 40s at that time, had just returned from visiting his father, and he shared with me how he had always tried to please his dad, but he really, his dad was very uh, displeased with the career that his son took. Instead of becoming a, a worker in, in a real job, He studied and became a pastor, and he was hoping that after all these years, after seeing his success as a pastor, that his dad would be proud of him, and he said that he was sitting with his dad one evening, and his dad looked at him and said, so when are you going to get a real job? Many will not understand the labor that a pastor does. Even many in the church will question why the pastor spends so much time in the Word when there are so many other things that need to be taken care of. The work of the teaching elder is divine labor and work because it is divinely ordained by God and made effectual by the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do in your life. To deliver sinners from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. And for the sanctification of the belief In the name of Jesus to the glory of God. So the teaching elder. He is to do this divine labor without shame. He is to be like Paul who says in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. And then, thirdly, Reformation requires not only divine approval, not only divine effort, but divine truth. And so it is essential that Timothy be diligent to present himself to God as one approved, a worker, unashamed, rightly dividing, guiding along a straight line, handling correctly teaching the elders do not stand at the pulpit and address the congregation with their own opinions, but they feed the church with the bread of life, the living word that is powerful unto salvation to all who believe and profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God, may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so Paul writes In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. It was the word of truth that Paul preached in Ephesus that God used to establish the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him, Jesus, you also, when you, second person plural, you all, speaking to the saints of the church, when you all heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word of truth is so powerful, that it brought those who were once dead in the trespasses of their sin, who were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, it brought them to a place where now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Preach that word, Timothy. This is what the preaching of the word of God does in Ephesus at Faith in Myrtle Beach, in P.D. Presbytery, in America, in France, Germany, in all the world. The apostles who preached the word of God were known not so affectionately by the idol makers as these men who are turning the world upside down. Preach that word. And these men were joined by men throughout church history who preached the word, like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and other reformers who were raised up by God to turn the Western civilization upside down through expository preaching of the word. John Owen, Jeremiah Burroughs, Samuel Rutherford, Spurgeon, and others led a reformation in the British Empire through the preaching of The preaching of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield brought the power of God for salvation to the colonies of America as they rightly divided and proclaimed the word of truth. It has been observed throughout church history that every great revival in the church has been ushered in by a return to expository preaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones stated, The most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. And as it is the greatest and most urgent need in the church, it is the greatest need of the world also. If a reformation is to come to the churches in our presbytery and around the world, it must begin in the pulpit where the authority of Scripture alone proclaims that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of Oh, unbeliever, if you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ, come to the pulpit and receive the word of truth that leads you out of darkness to light from the power of Satan to God that you may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, believer, you who have tasted of Christ and seen how glorious he is who have been given a new heart a heart that loves the Lord God and are walking by faith come to the pulpit and receive the word of truth that will make your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and holy until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God welcome the pulpit you who would see jesus let us pray oh lord god again i pray that you will be with john Irwin as he continues to preach your word in season and out of season seeking diligently to present your word faithfully seeking your divine approval by your divine effort according to your divine truth to bring about reformation here at faith and be with all of the preachers, all the pastors in our presbytery and all around the world. Make us faithful to be students and studiers of your word, trusting that indeed it is the power of God and the salvation. And be with the elders, all the elders of your church, Lord, that they will lead by their own example to eagerly come to hear your word preached from the pulpit and to lead the flock to come and join them. Oh, Lord, bring revival, bring a reformation to your church that we might proclaim the glory of Christ Jesus and the salvation by grace through faith in him. And I pray in Jesus' name.